Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe. Now introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. My name's Eb Mann, and today we're very lucky to be joined by a returning guest, a fellow my builder, Neil Brooks. How are you doing, Neil? Hi, Ed. How are you? I'm very good, thank you, sir. And we're also joined by Nicholas Grakas. Hey. How are you doing, Nicholas? Good. Hi, everyone. Hey, great to have you on the show, man. Uh, it, for, for the audience, we actually met Nicholas uh, in person when we did the Symphony Live meetup in London. Uh, and, and Neil was, I wouldn't say harassing him, uh, but politely asking him, would you come on, you know, on, this show, on the show? And uh, politely, Nicholas has said, said yes, and it's great to have Neil back on the show. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a good chat about Symphony and whatnot. Would you mind actually introducing yourself, Nicholas, to the audience? Yeah, sure. So I'm Nicolas Gaikas. I work in Paris for, uh, for Symphony, actually. I used to work for Symphony Labs, but now we split the company, so it's I work for Symphony. Um, I'm a PHP developer. I'm engaged in the core team of Symphony since like five years, and I'm lucky enough to be able to work on Symphony, the open source uh, code base, almost daily. So yeah, I try to improve the state of you know the arts in the PHP ecosystem and the Symphony especially. Actually, Nicholas, would you um, just give us a a quick description on how you first learned a program, what got you into your career choice, um, and give us a, so any important milestones that have led up to where you are now. I graduated from a French engineering school. Um, so I studied physics and chemistry, nothing related to computer. <laughs> but while I was a student there, I worked on the student's website. And that's how I went into, you know, Hacking PHP BB, which happened to be written in PHP, like many people. <laughs> and basically, that's how I ended up, you know, um, really this uh, world and working in that world. So after my studies, I created a company and I built this company for like eight years with a small team. We're up to 10. I worked, uh, we were selling some SaaS product, uh, which was built in PHP. So that's where I also improved my skills. I wrote a framework of mine, etc. And so at some point, uh, this story was over and I was looking for some opportunity. And I, that's where, uh, when I met, you know, Fabian uh, saying I'm on the market and I joined Sensual at the day after. Oh, wow. There you go. So straight, straight into the symphony world there. Had you done any symphony stuff prior to that then in your own, in your, in the startup company? No, never. I didn't know symphony before. So, so, so you met the boss one day and, uh, and he gave you a job the next. Uh, not exactly like that because I knew Fabian from before because, um, I met him, um, at some French conferences. So like twice. And we also happen to have the same background, at least the last year uh, in school, in the student school, in the university, was like some entrepreneurship uh, year. And we did the same uh, program. So that's we are uh, alumni of the same program. That's also how I met Fabian. Uh, okay. But you, so you were studying science and engineering before. Um, so, so you've got a kind of an analytical and scientific brain then, I guess. Yes, I, I guess so. 
That's awesome. And so, any other languages? So, like, obviously, you picked up PHP, you know, when it came from, you know, doing the school website, or the, you know, doing the, the websites and whatnot. Uh, have you have you forayed into any other languages in your career, or has it primarily been PHP then that you've kind of, you know, honed your craft in? So, I mostly worked in PHP. I did some JavaScript. Um, yeah, because part of my framework was written in JavaScript. So, that was before the modern JavaScript, but I, okay, that was still nice. I liked it a lot. Um, and no, I didn't do much other languages. Um, some C at school, you know, at the university, but just basic things. First time into the Symphony language or Symphony framework was then, you know, first day on the job for it. Uh, what, what, what was kind of your role there when you first started? Um, Fabian ha- had this idea of, you know, uh, building a profiler at that time. So he was building the team to make the product and the ID uh, into a concrete product. So that was not Blackfair at that time, but uh, there was one engineer for Sensor Labs doing some prototyping on the ID. And then I entered the team and we actually created the team, the engineering team to build what is nowadays Blackfire. So that's the project I've been hired for. It's interesting you mentioned uh, Blackfire. Uh, it's a product that I, I use uh, a fair amount and I, I really enjoy it. Um, so what are the kind of um, day-to-day challenges that you have with uh, with running Blackfire? You know, what, what kind of problems do you have to solve? And, and what does Blackfire give me as a, as a user that maybe other profiling tools don't? Oh, sure. So there are several aspects to the question. Um, on Blackfire's side, uh, I'm not working for Blackfair anymore since January, so I'm focused on Symfony almost uh, only now. I do some consulting for the engineering team um, in on the Blackfair side, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, on the day-to-day thing, I mean, balancing open source versus not open source, it's quite difficult. I mean, um, I'm lucky to have uh, Fabian allow me to work on you know open source as much as I want. So for now, like these days, I'm in a hurry to finish the Fallout 2 release. So I'm almost 80% on my, of my time on open source. And then on some other moments in, you know, in the release cycle, I'm just not doing open source because I'm just focused on something else. So it goes back and forth without much uh, scheduling on my side. Um, then about Blackfire, so it's an awesome profiler. <laughs> so uh, it does, the, I think the main selling point of Blackfire is that it's so easy to use. You just install it once. Of course, there are some steps to install it, but once it's installed, it just works and it works forever. I mean, I installed it three years ago on my laptop and I didn't change anything to have it work uh, every day. And even if I forget that it's there, the way the, the day I need it is just there. I just run, you know, a Blackfire command or just click this profile button on the Blackfire extension, and I get the result immediately. And then, of course, the view is is awesome. And yeah, I'm I'm using it um, on Symfony quite a lot to improve the performance and to review the patches and everything that people contribute to Symfony to make it faster. I couldn't do that without without the tool so 
Yeah, it's very hard to not without without any stats and any benchmarks. It's hard to kind of gauge, you know, whether you know this performance boost, you know, or if something is actually going to be impactful to everyone, or you know, if it's specific cases or whatnot. Yeah, exactly. So performance is not a guesswork, and we are we do guesswork too often. I mean, in the performance, like ah, oh, this patch is going to improve performance, but actually, when you don't measure anything, you you don't have any proof, and it might be false actually. That's exactly it. Yeah. So you say, you know, you kind of like you, you switch between open source and then your day to day work and stuff. So do you do that yourself then? Or, do, or is that different tasks? Obviously, you've got a release coming up now. So you're, you know, all hands on deck with Symphony. Uh, and then would it blend into then doing other work? Or do you have kind of strict like, you know, I'm going to work on open source, say half the week and then work, you know, other work the other half of the week, not typically? How do you partition that and kind of in your brain, you know, being able to switch between contexts like that? It's not easy. <laughs> So I don't have strict schedule because it's, for me at least, it's difficult to be focused on some uh, difficult topic and switch because time has come to switch. So when I have a bug, let's say on Symfony, and it's difficult, I can I need to get focused and to stay focused for as many hours as I need to actually understand it and fix it because otherwise it would be just lost time. So then I have like objectives, you know, uh, we talk with Fabian and with the team and we say we want to achieve this and this and this. So these are, you know, running tasks and I try to allow as much time as needed to actually achieve the target. So that's how I work on that. And how do you divvy up then? Because you say they're bugs then. So it's bugs and new features, uh, you know, in the symphony world, but, you know, and like dealing with pull requests and things, because pull requests will come in, I'm sure, at any time and stuff and being able to deal with them, at, you know, kind of a good clip. Do you just kind of, if you've got a bug on the, like, you know, important bug, then it will just be kind of all hands on deck dealing with that. And then someone else will deal with the, you know, the pull requests, like, or, or are you kind of dealing with the social side of things as well, you know, talking to the community, et cetera, through pull requests and the GitHub, you know, et cetera. So the list on uh, put the list of of pull requests and the list of issues um, in GitHub is like this, you know, to do list, and it's a bit scary to see this list increase and increase and go over to like let's say two hundred pull requests. So this is kind of a pressure I get on me, like wow, this number is getting too high. I need to have a look. I need to help people move forward with a pull request. Basically, that's how I see my job on this side saying, okay, now enough pull requests and enough people actually are just stacking there, waiting for someone to, to care about them. So maybe I can help. So from time to time, I try to uh, have a look and help people. And when this number goes higher, I try to um, give it a higher priority. That's how I, I, I do it. Then sometimes... Um, not always. I have some something to work on on my own, like some idea I want to push and so some code to write. So in this moment, I don't look at pull request at all. I just write my own thing and I make my own things, uh, my own ideas move forward. That's it. And I switch from that to that because I don't have ideas all the time. So it's good because in between I can help people and go back. That's, it, yeah. That's how it works. <laughs> No, I like that. And I think, yeah, you're all right. And, you know, it's the way you're thinking that, you know, someone's put the time in, you want to help them and either push the idea along or change it in the way that it needs to be changed to actually get accepted or, you know, move in the right direction for it. If, if things just get standstill and this number just becomes unwieldy, uh, it's like an email, you know, email inbox, you know, just ridiculous amounts. It's just too hard to comprehend. Yeah, exactly. So how, how do you support then perhaps um, if, uh, if a developer 
makes a pull request and the code is not up to standard at all, um, what would your first kind of response to that uh, to that developer be? Oh, I try to thank them first because you know someone took the time to actually suggest a change. Um, of course, there are obvious things like you know looking at the CI when there are tests that are read. So I try to remind people to have a look there. When people don't add any test, I try to ask them politely to please add, you know, tests, <laughs> of course. And then, you know, it's like iteration. You provide the first commands. It can be just code style on the first iterations because that's the easiest thing to review, you know. You look at something and you say, oh, this is okay, this is not, this is very quick. And slowly we get deeper and deeper into the topic up to the point where sometimes I can, you know, challenge uh, the core ID or the way it's done, but then it's for the discussion. I mean, it's really interesting to understand why people are submitting that. And at some moment, in some pull request, we decide together, I mean, the community, the other reviewers and the author that this is not the good approach and we need another one, which we drafted in the comments. So, yeah, that's for the most difficult topics, and sometimes it's just easy, so I t we try to improve that. Yeah, because they could have come back with a solution, but maybe their solution's not right, but the problem they have could be valid. So, yeah, with your domain expertise, you know, you could then work through it, and so it's it's been valuable that they brought it to the table as a starting point. Correct. So sometimes, for example, I, rem I remember on the cache component, uh, someone came with a pull request with, you know, some problem uh, and the code to actually solve it, and that was um, sometimes I do a, a, a competitive a competing pull request. So that I'm reminding on, I remember something like that on the cache component where, you know, this pull request was explaining well the problem, but the solution was totally not what I would uh, do uh, for technical reasons. So I did it. And then what happened was awesome because the contributor switched to my own pull request and, you know, challenged it a lot. So in the end, uh, we merged my pull request, but his contribution was was really included into it. Yeah, because you distill it down into like the kind of this is you know both of you working together. It's not a competition on who's going to get you know the rewards out of it. It's really like there's the problem and how we're going to solve it together. And I suppose that must be another thing dealing with the community and and not hurting people's feelings or trying not to hurt people's feelings. And kind of you know code is a very personal thing to people. So if someone comes with something, you know dealing with it in a nice way and i think you know the way you, you mentioned you know how you deal with like the styling first and you can kind of slowly get through to okay can, maybe we can tweak this a bit and maybe we can change like you know some fundamentals on how you solved it um but no it's, it's interesting and it, it must be a tackle a challenge in every day because obviously new pull request comes in and they're all different yes so it, it'd be a bit of a silly question because uh, i think i already know the answer but what parts of symphony do you actually work on then uh is it everything <laughs> Uh, it's, I'm doing a, a tour of Symphony components. <laughs> so I worked on the Vardumpum component. Actually, I wrote it. It's extracting from my previous work in my previous company. Um, so that's maybe one of the, or maybe the first component I um, contributed to Symphony. I, I created the cache component also. Um, then I worked a lot on the debug component, on the dependency injection one. You may have heard about the routing improvements um, last winter so this, that's you know my routing tour component um so yeah those are the components i think i know the most and the best 
Uh, for the um, current cycle, I've, um, I've been having a look at, you know, the translation component, the messenger component, and I don't know form. I don't know validation. Uh, I really don't know how to use them. I mean, yeah, okay, but I don't know. <laughs> but the serializer, I don't know also how it works. And the good thing is that I don't go into these areas because there are people caring about them a lot already. It's wasted cycles, isn't it? There's no point in you kind of taking a vested interest. Someone else is going to do that. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's quite comforting, actually, because uh, I, I often think that as a, as a user of Symphony, I should probably know these bits and pieces. But if, if even uh, if even you don't know all of the components and you're happily, happily, happily saying that you don't know the components, then that makes me feel a little bit better about myself as well. <laughs> so what what kind of th- what what are you most um proud of with uh with your contributions to symphony uh i think the most um uh, critical feature of symphony is the deprecation policy and the way we are now able to create a migration path a continuous migration path between major releases you know from symphony one to symphony two you had to rewrite everything but from two to three and from three to four and four to five, etc., it's uh, just easy. I mean, it's just a few hours. And I worked a lot on that. And I think that's, um, you know, the like a superpower for Symphony. And I played a role into having, uh, contributing it to Symphony. So I think that's the, yeah, the thing I'm the most proud of. I think that's the most invaluable thing about Symphony, and it's one of the hardest things in the project, you know, to deal with this, you know, legacy code and moving code along. Uh, it's, you know, it's not as simple all the time as just, I oh, will do a rewrite. You know, that may be easy for the framework for people just to have to rewrite, but yeah, having to challenge and work through, you know, dealing with the decisions. And I suppose then actually that makes the decisions that you make on a day-to-day basis with what you put into a component, how you, you know, you design your APIs and stuff, very hard uh, and you know kind of like well thought out because you know this is going to be lasting a long time this will be around for for a long time yeah so the good thing is that we can do mistakes we can do you know short-term decisions um if we are able to deprecate them that's fine so that's how symphony is going to be alive for years to come because we are able to just drop the old code the old component and we are still able to you know innovate so without that symphony would just um you know just stagnate wouldn't it sadly yeah stack crap and in the end just die uh, because of its own weight like a black hole you know (laughs) Uh, so that we're free from that so does that mean then that there's a kind of clear roadmap for symphony moving forward um is there is there a clear vision that you have or is it uh is there a lot of ad hoc changes to to the direction that the project moves in yeah, there is no roadmap. Symphony has only one roadmap, which is time-based releasing, which means we ship what's ready every six months. And every two years now, we ship a new major release where the only thing we do is just dropping the deprecated code. There is no roadmap. We might, each of us, have ideas about where Symphony should be improved. But if that if nobody writes the code, it's okay. I mean... We are. We did some something else in between, so that's how it works. Sure. And so, for people that wanted maybe to get involved and um, create new features or or take up some of the features that are being discussed, is there a central place uh, where 
people can go to find out what needs to be done? Is there a voting system for anything that needs to be implemented, etc.? So there are um, tens of ways to contribute to Symfony. Uh, about the code, I would recommend to go to the you know the issue tracker. The most recent issues are usually the most uh, the easiest to fix because the on the opposite side, the oldest ones are old for a reason. I mean, nobody either took the time to actually dive into it, into them, or they're just so hard to fix. So yeah, looking at the most recent one. Another uh, way to contribute would be to enter contributing would be to, you know, um, think about these sentences where you would expect Symphony to behave in some way, or you would expect Symphony like, hey, we have been waiting this for years. That's the kind of comment we get sometimes on when we release a new feature. Hey, what were you doing, guys? Our people. Hey, we were just waiting for you to contribute it. So if you have this moment of this kind of moment where you're saying, hey, why uh, was I, what were you doing, guys? Maybe you should be the one doing the broadcast to make it actually happen. Exactly. It would spark up the conversation. And, you know, it, it's, it's all win, really, isn't it? You know, like, I think people feel scary, you know, scared to maybe try and, you know, think, oh, my, will my code actually be valuable? But even if it just starts the conversation up and the code gets changed, you know, you're going to have a valuable learning experience working with yourself and everyone else on the Symphony Core team and all the other contributors. Uh, it's just a win-win to help contribute to these type of projects. Sure. I mean, um, I've read some blog posts about, um, you know, the experience of contributing to Symfony that some people shared, and they learned a lot. That's basically the most um, common feedback I get from people that contribute and that enter contributing for the first time. If they have the passions to um, comment and contribute to the discussion, then Everyone learns a lot, both Symfony, because we learned about a new problem and we figured out maybe a solution, and the author. Um, usually people enter with some, um, you know, um, code that is written from the, their own point of view, and then other people will give their own point of view of the discussion. And in the end, everything is going to be much better. Not because it it was it's not something that is achievable um, on the first pull request, I mean. Even an experienced contributor always comes with his or their own bias. No, absolutely. And I think actually for the audience, primarily this sort of podcast is for PHP developers. So the component ecosystem uh, and the way things are broken out into components and the way that they, I suppose they enable different rates of change and stuff. Like when did that come into being? And like how valuable has that been to be able to keep the project moving forward uh, and, you know, kind of being able to, you know, have, because you say you know certain parts of the system or certain components of the system, but, you know, there's other parts that you don't know and you can just leave to other people. So Symfony is just 40 or about 40 components. Each of them can be used standalone. Um, many people do use them standalone. I'm surprised all the time. Even the dependency injection component is used by people standalone. So sometimes, you know, people talk about, I, I'm, work, I'm a Symfony developer. It can mean, it means something. It means, I suppose, that people are using like the framework bundle and then the bundle system to, you know, um, wire and configure a single application. But then there are people that are also Symfony developers, but they are just using the routing component or just the cache component or just the DI components, like I said. So that's... It means Symfony is completely integrated into the PHP ecosystem to me. 
I mean, there is no difference between the symphony world and the PHP world. It's just one world and symphony contributes some components that you can mash up with components from, you know, other people that are not in the symphony namespace. But that's fine. That's awesome, actually. Yeah, because you can just hit new, 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 uh, new ideas and new solutions to things. Yeah. And I imagine it must be very satisfying as well um, for you to see the Symphony components being used in so many other projects and frameworks. Sure. That's a great reason to contribute to Symphony. I mean, uh, by contributing to Symphony, the impact is much higher than any other project you could contribute to, I suppose. I mean, that's my own contributions. I could do them in my own namespace on my own, you know, vendor, but that wouldn't have, they wouldn't have the same impact. So, Symphony is just an awesome uh, impact or awesome vector for God. But it comes with a prestige, doesn't it? And and it would be interesting. What what um how do you decide what becomes a component uh, and what goes into a component? And also the you know you mentioned there that all these components can be used outside of the Symphony framework, you know, kind of ecosystem. Is that intentional? That that you know all these components should be able to be used outside of Symphony uh, where possible. Yes, that's from day one of Symphony two. Symphony two is designed as a collection of standalone components. So that's from day one, and that's why Symfony uh, has been adopted by so many projects. Like, you know, we have a Symfony component in Magento, in Typo3, in Drupal, uh, in Easy Publish, in Laravel, and etc. So, and they just use a few of them, a few components, and that's that's fine. That's perfect, actually. That's just how we want it to, to be, being able to contribute just a few solution to some generic problem. So then how does something become a component? I don't know precisely, but maybe at the moment where someone figures out um, a scope, you know, a domain where we can contribute a few classes and interfaces and they play well together and they solve a problem. So it kind of kind of just comes naturally, you know, from the problem you're in, like, you know, breaking up the problem and, and how they can be, you know, separated and where different rates of change can occur. Yeah. So, and there's another trigger. I'm just thinking of it's um, also driven by what we want to achieve in, within the framework bundle ecosystem. You know, let's say the messenger component is something that existed before or exists outside of the Symfony namespace, but by having it, uh, having this feature uh, right into Symfony, it allows us to build much faster and much stronger on, you know, the feature provided by the messenger component, like message buses and things like that. So that now it will be easier to and better integrated to deal with this kind of buses. Actually, one of, one of the questions that I've had in my mind a, a few times when I think about Symfony is is wondering how that it relates to frameworks in other uh, languages. Um, for example, you have sort of Django in in Python and uh, Spring in Java and stuff. So, is there anything? Is there any established framework in another language that Symfony really borrows its ideas from, or or is uh, is the Symfony project paving its own path? Um, I know that from the beginning, let's say the the security subsystem has been uh, inspired a lot by the Spring one. So the, the architecture is, you know, borrowed from the Spring framework. But now, you know, it's like five or eight years ago that happened. So recently, um, I don't know any major borrowing from 
other technologies. But we do look at, you know, Django or Spring or other um, when we want to solve something. Um, let's say auto wiring, for example, that's something I've been looking at um, in the Spring world to see how they do annotations, how they do auto wiring, um, what kind of sub concepts exist there so that I could take inspiration from, from there. If, you know, there was something to, um, to borrow, it's better to not invent and make the mistake ourselves. We can just take uh, the ideas there. Sure. I understand. Yeah. From what I've seen, Symphony is a lot more popular in Europe than it is maybe in uh, in America. Um, I, th- I think South America has has quite a wide usage of Symphony. From what I've seen, is that? Um, I mean, why do you think maybe it is that uh, that North America favours Laravel over Symphony, or, or appears to at least? Um, and is there something that uh, is that something that maybe could be addressed, or is there any need to address that? Or, or what are your thoughts on on that? So I don't have the answer. I'm wondering myself. I'm wondering why uh, and how actually we could have Symphony have a much higher impact in the US. I am asking the US community to help us answer this question. I mean, that's the only way I can answer this question is by asking people there and asking them to help us, you know, create um, more noise around Symphony to have it, you know, uh, like a hipster thing. <laughs> so Symphony is, has a lot of traction in Europe. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's another point of view, which is the technical point of view. In Europe, maybe in France, I'm sure, we have a technical point of view on things like frameworks. You know, we like well-designed things and we, and we like building on top, on top of uh, design building blocks like solid principle and things like that. In the US, for sure, I feel like people uh, like to have something that just works. They don't really care about how it works. They just want to make it work faster. So time to market is much important for people that actually code. Then I feel like it's in France. Uh, That's maybe a difference that explains something. When you say the popularity, obviously, uh, in America compared to Europe, do you mean, because I think that's where people maybe get confused with Symphony, as you say, Symphony is both the components. So you're using a component. Hey, I use Symphony. Hey, I can, you know, kind of work and collaborate and help improve that component that I'm using. You know, I've got a vested interest in it. Whereas Symphony, you know, the bundles dealing with, you know, actually using it. Um, where do you want, you know, where, where do you see kind of that can be spearheaded on in, Amer- in America and kind of other countries? Is it the use of it Symphony as the framework or Symphony as the components or both? I think Symphony as the framework is what we um, mean by Symphony is successful or not. I mean, with Symphony 4, I I expect people to uh, have a much lower uh, learning curve, you know, a much smoother learning curve, curve so that maybe people could enter using the framework like Flex, you know, the skeleton, um, much easier and get things done uh, much faster. So that could help drive some adoption there. Absolutely. And, and, and the other threat frameworks, you know, obviously like Laravel, uh, you know, is a big one. And that uses Symphony components from day one or, you know, very early on it used Symphony components. And how, how has, you know, the other frameworks in the PHP ecosystem kind of helped aid Symphony? Uh, and is there a lot of collaboration goes on there or is it, you know, I mean, it's, it's nice to have that competition in some friendly competition to be able to kind of, you know, work and progress and move forward. Yeah. So, yeah, there is a lot of cross-pollinization 
like sharing ideas between Laravel and Symfony in both directions. And that happens also in with other technologies, other frameworks. That's great. I mean, that's why I like uh, open source so much because ideas are not copyrighted and everyone can borrow the good ideas from someone else and make everything uh, like better. And it's also fine to disagree with a group. That's also why, you know, competition is nice because uh, the people that do Laravel, they disagree with some uh, ways, uh, with the way Symfony does some things. And that's awesome because it allows exploring some area we wouldn't be able to explore ourselves because we have our own way of seeing the world. And it means we are exploring our own um, set of ideas. And in the end, when they end up, and or reciprocally, when we end up having ideas that they can find or we can find nice, it's just time to borrow and to go to the next step together. Absolutely. You just don't want the silos, do you? There's just no point, as you say, silos mean that projects end up just staying stale and they never move forward and they never see the bigger picture or how someone else can see it. So if you can have this good discussion with other frameworks, whether it's in the same language or different languages, it's just it values everyone. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And so what actually are you working on at the moment then? Uh, like, because I know you did the a Symphony Cash talk at Symphony Live and you've recently come back from Symphony um, conference in San Francisco. So these days I'm working on the messenger component. I don't know if you saw the pull request I've submitted recently, but I've, I've submitted like eight or 10 of them. And that's because I didn't review the component since its beginning. And we are going to release Photo 2 at the end of November. So it's going to be released as stable. And I really wanted to have a look. So I did have a look and I submitted some pull requests. So yeah, now I know the components and I hope it's going to be stable soon. So the messenger component actually is a really big, you know, kind of interesting component. Would you mind maybe for the audience kind of explaining briefly what that actually does? Yeah, sure. The messenger component is um, as a middleware middleware stack. So you basically, there's one entry point to the component, which is a dispatch method. You, it's just a method. You call it, you give a, an object as argument, which is called a message, and you just dispatch a message. And then the component is all about what happens after this call. And what happens uh, is that there are there is a stack of middleware that are, are called in chain, and so the last middleware is usually the middleware or that calls the handlers, which are are the callback basically that do something with the message. But in between, the stack is wired with typically a transport layer, so that we can move a message from uh, the stack to a queue and to some network um, protocol, you know? So we send the message to AMQP and then there is a receiver part which receives the message far away, I mean, on another machine where a worker, a PHP worker uh, is listening and, you know, listening for the messages and sending them back to the handler, this callback thing. And all of this happens in the same application. There's a common line to uh, launch a long-running worker on the remote side and on the client side, we just dispatch the message and everything happens without you having to care. So it can be synchronous or asynchronous depending on the way you configure infrastructure. That's also the great thing. You know, in dev, you don't have all this setup. It still works. And in prod, you just change the configuration. And with thanks to this transport thing, the message goes far away and 
you know, response time is much higher or faster. Yeah, and it's, it's it's a really good abstraction to kind of have, uh, and because and obviously, so one thing actually, um, Fabian did at the keynote in the Symphony Live London was to talk about uh, Symphony Mailer, and one of the things it could do then was take advantage of this Symphony Messenger, and he mentioned you know the Symphony Men- Messenger being a very key vital part going forward. How do you think something like uh, you know Symphony Messenger is going to help you know kind of pave the way for you know the future of how we kind of you know develop things in symphony world and also just in general kind of like think of these things as messages passing through yeah that's big uh, big um, change in the way we can think about messages and i mean dealing with inputs basically because many input can be thought of just a message that comes in and that we could just send to a bus and the bus does something with the message so the, the mailer um, is the one that Fabian is working on and that leverages the messenger component. I'm sure we are going to have more ideas and the, con- the community will contribute more use cases for the messenger components. So Ed mentioned a, a moment ago um, that uh, you obviously spoke at Symphony Live in London and then uh, more recently in uh, in San Francisco. Um, and, and I think a lot of your time is is taken up with conference speaking and attendance, if if I'm correct. So are you as excited um, now as you were when you first started speaking at conferences or, or do you find maybe that the shine rubs off a little and, and, and how much of your time is given towards conference attendance and, and speaking and, and teaching? Um, so Auton is quite busy period for me because we have all the Symphony Live and Symphony Con conferences at, in the Auton. Um, we are going to create more conferences. We are working on more conferences that should happen next spring. So I'm going to be busy next spring, I suppose, if everything goes well. Um, about being excited, yes, I am um, for every conference. And um, the thing I'm most excited uh, about is uh, meeting people. We work a lot with contributors on GitHub and on Slack also. Uh, but, you know, it's like an electronic communication. It's it's very basic. Uh, and I really enjoy meeting the people that I work with on Slack and on GitHub. And at every conference, there are people that are working with me and with others on Symphony. So that's a big part of the, uh, that's a big reason why I'm excited to go at conferences. And of course, meeting people that are new to Symphony is also very exciting. They can just share uh, their experience and I'm very eager to listen to that. I don't think I've ever seen you at a conference uh, without a smile on your face. (laughs) So how, how do you manage the time that you spend traveling uh, to conferences? Are you, are you busy working all the time whilst you're traveling or do you maybe sort of get to a city and then kick back for a while or it, does it impact a lot on the amount of work that you can get done? So I like hacking on Symfony. So I do, I, you know, I like opening the laptop even offline and contribute, experiment some ideas. I have a to-do list, a personal, my own to-do list. It's my own roadmap for the day. I be able to, to, to do that. So I look at that in the plane and I say, oh, what can I experiment with today in the plane? So <laughs> that's how I can experience sometimes. Um, then when I travel, I mean, it's just balancing between uh, having a rest and being available for others and working on the code. And I try to sleep as much as I can because it's exhausting. Be available and do some contributions, basically, trying to balance that to um, have it, you know, healthy. 
How many people actually work full time then on Symphony? Because uh, I know that you mentioned obviously you and Fabian. Like, are there any others that kind of you know spend most of their time, paid time, uh, working on the Symphony framework and you know Symphony components? As far as I know, there is only me and Fabian that have you know paid time on uh, Symphony. So Fabian, of course, it's not you know he's his own boss, so that's okay. He decides, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm um, I'm the only one I'm aware of that works paid time on um, official paid time on symphony so everyone else is contributing on their available time whenever they want and actually that's the main the majority of the contributions are done like that i'm just holding a minor contribution to symphony well, you're helping keep the ship running and keep, you know, things moving, as you say, like getting pull requests. I mean, this is such invaluable stuff. Like, you know, pull requests would just stay there stagnant and you need people to have interest in them and direct them in the right way and stuff. And, you know, yeah, no, definitely. I think you're doing an invaluable service. Yeah. You mentioned actually, you know, like a little while ago, you, you don't have a roadmap, uh, like a, you know, kind of published roadmap of what Symphony or where Symphony is going to be going, but you have your own personal, I'm sure, kind of thoughts and you know the things that you want to hack on things you're interested in for you then kind of where do you see you know the the, the growth in symphony and, and the changes that you would like to make uh, in your own personal time compared to like, obviously pull requests that come up from other people <laughs> um so or is it all secret <laughs> no it's not secret but i don't take any engagement on having them happen you know <laughs> so whatever i'm going to say it's it's maybe not going to happen anytime so <laughs> that's just random talk. <laughs> um, so I like working uh, um, on the Symphony contracts. I really like the Symphony contracts um, package we're going to release in November. And I think we have an, a good opportunity with there to provide some abstractions. Um, very simple ones. Uh, that's a core requirement for me. Uh, and we could help con- uh, Symphony basically and everyone in the PHP world also. Uh, by defining how the caching domain can be, you know, le- made simple with this cache interface I talked about in my talk. But there are more interfaces that um, I'd like to have in a generic and abstract way. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I'm not sure I'm, uh, I can share much ideas on that topic because they don't exist and it's a sensitive topic. <laughs> No, no, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, well, when you mean Symphony contracts, then it's coming. But what do you, what do you mean by those? So Symphony contracts is a set of interfaces. Um, there are sub namespaces, and each sub namespace holds a domain, and the domain is like cache, like I said, with like three interfaces there, and some dog blocks explain that these are implementing these interfaces uh, cover means covering a domain, the caching domain, uh, in in the way it's specified. Uh, there are some interfaces in the service namespace to help uh, to generalize the concept of uh, service subscribers, which is not doesn't have to be a symphony specific thing. Um, so I like it. What else? There is the translation interface. There is, a tra- and this is also very generic. Just uh, an interface with this translate trans actually method and. If you happen to need a translation system, you just need this interface. And of course, there is one implementation, which is the Symfony translation component. But if you don't need this implementation and you want your own, it's perfectly doable, thanks to the interface. 
And that's the great, yeah, the, the, that's when you have good abstractions and seeing how they, and it all distills down and it takes time, as you say, to work through them to, to come to this. And that's where you know, obviously the thought and, you know, the kind of thinking behind it all and everything comes in. Yeah. So it forces also us to, I mean, from a symphony point of view, to design things in a maintain, maintainable way and decoupled way. And this is not something we want to do for the engineering nice, um, you know, part of it. It's because it's it's actually helping a lot on the maintenance side, both for the framework, I mean, the core team point of view, and the application, the consumer, let's say, point of view. The different rates of change, how, how you know, different people want to work on different things. You have to have good abstractions and good, you know, kind of context that you can be working in and, and good APIs, well-built well, well built APIs that, you know, that you can have in these contracts. So absolutely. It's not just because, oh, it looks good, you know, because it's pure and everything, you know, you know, it's got an amazing domain and whatnot. It's actually practical knowledge. I think that's what I love about the component system and how Symphony has been built is it's using this and applying these in such a practical way that you can really see the value in why you would break up a system in this way. And it's a good, it's, it's a very good use case to kind of show, hey, this is practically how it would work and, and why it works. And that's why, you know, I can understand certain parts of the system without having to worry and it won't break other parts of the system because we've had these good clear boundaries yeah exactly and that's yeah like you said it's applicable uh, knowledge and examples about things that are abstract like solid principle it's a bit abstract when you teach them but now it's actually required to have a successful symphony stack Definitely. And you see it and you see the fact that, you know, if Symphony was so tied together with these components, you know, you wouldn't get the value. You wouldn't get the people working on it, you know, from other frameworks, you know, because if, if I can't use this in another context or in another, you know, project, then you wouldn't get as much input and as much feedback from other people, uh, you know, working on different, you know, components because everyone's going to be working on what they need to work on for to solve their problem. That raises um, uh, a, a point, actually. I mean, how important is uh, PHP fig standards to Symfony and uh, main getting our interoperability? Yeah, they are important. And not all of them are applicable to Symfony. That's the two sides of the answer. Uh, you know, PSR, this number, PSR 0, PSR 3, 1, 2, 5, 4, 6, etc., etc. Some of them are applicable to Symfony components and we leverage them as much as we can. Um, the PSR 6 uh, standard is a great one. The PSR 0, the PSR 4 for auto-loading. So we try to borrow as much as possible and to leverage as much as possible when they're applicable to Symfony. There are PSRs that are not applicable to Symfony, like PSR 7 and related PSRs, like 15, 17, maybe 18, the next one. These are not applicable to Symfony because they, are, they require a different stack, like a different framework uh, that is just not compatible with the way Symfony works internally. So this is not for Symfony. That's fine. I mean, um, that's why we don't use all standards on Earth. And there are some standards that just nobody uses and others that are successful. That's the life of the standard, I suppose. So, yeah, the fig is... Great. Your question, I suppose, relates also to Symphony Cash, uh, Symphony Contracts, and so Symphony Contracts um, is has a, a different pace than the PHP Fig. Um, the way Symphony Contracts are designed is by reviews and discussions that happen on GitHub with a core team and with the experience that we have and the principles that we have. 
so that we can release also with uh, this time-based uh, release uh, schedule. Um, and all of this fits um, really well the way we know how to write uh, code in the Symfony um, community. The fig is so different that, you know, it's difficult. And I think it also the fig doesn't have exactly the same goals as Symfony. In Symfony, we want just to be to ship um, solutions to actual problems and to ship them now in the best way we can. But we also want to ship them. The fig can take as many years as it wants to actually figure out the most generic way to solve a, a, a topic, a domain, which is fine. That's really fine, but that's just not the pace of Symfony. So if there are new standards in the future that compete with uh, Symfony contracts, I, I hope we'll be able to actually incorporate them into Symfony contracts somehow. Like actually it's the case for PSR6, which is just a, a lower layer of the cash contracts. That, that really is cool. And thank you, Nicholas. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Uh, it was really, really interesting. I've, I've got one last question. Uh, and uh, so I know, you know, you spend most of your life in the PHP world, but outside of the PHP world or any other paradigms, like, you know, what, what else intrigues you at the moment, kind of in the, pro, you know, computer science, to, you know, kind of realm, functional programming, AI, ML, kind of what, what, what things get you, you know, interested at this time? Ah, I need to have a look at AI and machine learning and things like that. I didn't have a look. So... Right now, I, I, if I if there were two languages, um, I would choose like TypeScript or Go. I mean, they are both really interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know the other one very well, but I think Go and TypeScript are really interesting because of what they provide, like a new way of doing things. Awesome. Well, audience, it's been another great episode. And I say thank you, Neil, for, for co-hosting today and also Nicholas for being on the show. It's been absolutely, you know, amazing kind of hearing. And I think, you know, getting this kind of insight into how Symphony works and like, the you know, the, the people behind the framework. Until next week, goodbye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com. Or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe.